Hello and welcome to the Football Ramble. We are heading back to the stadiums. It's Tuesday the 24th of November. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Jim Campbell. Yes, we will get on to last night's matches very shortly and some other good stuff. But we have to start with this really positive news that was announced yesterday. Fans, we are heading back to the stadiums. I think this is brilliant news, Luke. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm very excited. I think we've been used, haven't we, over the last however many months to see... Um, to be to see in to seeing what we've been used to seeing what is essentially a, a facsimile of football, I think, uh, for a number of different reasons. But one of the main reasons is that there's no fans in the stadiums. And um, although we must approach this news with over what I would describe as tentative scepticism, because mm. you never really know with this government, and also <laughs> you never know with this virus, because it can be exceptionally dangerous and can kick your ass when you feel like you might have. Uh, been about to turn a corner but 4,000 fans I think maximum in the lower risk areas from next week can only be seen as a good thing and and it'll be fascinating if we were to take it just about the football to say that how's that going to affect things because we've seen it affect things in a big way when it comes to teams home records with the exception of Liverpool who are just ridiculous but a lot of the teams home records have been different Um, there's been a lot more away wins than we would have seen before is this going to come in as a plot twist halfway through the season Ooh. and start changing the dynamic again? Do you yeah, know what you think? Absolutely. I mean, 4,000 fans is a weird amount as well, isn't it? In most like top flight it stadiums, is a bit, isn't like, it? you're barely going to sort of register that. I, that's, about, one, that's the Emirates generally, isn't it? Well, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I am looking, I'm looking forward to getting back down to the Emirates because it's been such a long time since I've been there with, you know, 4,000 of, of, you know, our our biggest and brightest and just giving those slackers hell. They have, they have, had, they have yeah. had such a break from the grief they deserve as they step out onto that pitch putting their bodies on the line for their club. Let's, see you, miss club. A chan- Let's see you miss a chance now, Pierre. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> so it's, it's going to be strange, isn't it? Like it, It's going to be a really, really different dynamic. I suppose we haven't really thought too much about what these baby steps back towards full stadiums are going to be. But... I mean, we have seen some international football and some some football in European leagues where they've had a sort of comparable amount of, of fans in, and it doesn't. It does sound a bit like a training game almost, doesn't yes. it? When you see it on TV, so this is going to be a. It's well, going to be very weird. I think the atmosphere might be flatter, given that we've all got used to watching the fake crowd noise. Well, and here, that'll be interesting. Yeah, and I, I, but I've started watching the games without fake crowd noise now because mm. I'm I'm fed up of it, and I want to hear people getting annoyed. I heard Kevin De Bruyne getting really annoyed yeah. at the weekend about the um, the encroachment he accused people of. Uh, I think I can't which Spurs player it was, but there was encroachment in a, on a corner being taken, um, which was interesting. But the, a, a good, an interesting aspect of this, Jules, is that so it's going to be de- it's going to be dependent on what tier the area of the country is in at the time. Yeah. Now that is fascinating because. If you limit capacity to fifty percent of, if you limit it to fifty percent capacity or four thousand fans, whichever is lower, in some leagues uh, in the country, it's going to have a much bigger impact than it would. So, so for example, is there going to be a huge impact if four thousand fans ch- jump into the Emirates? I pr- I'd say probably not. Mm. But is it going to make a difference lower down the divisions? And if it is. What does that mean for the fairness of the competition? Because as I've already mentioned, we've seen 
record, people's home records, people's away records being slightly different this season, to say the least. If you get to a crunch game towards the end of the season and one team is allowed a certain amount of fans in because they're in a lower tier to another team and they're both vying for a title or to escape relegation, is it an even playing field? Because say what you like about empty stadiums at the moment, and I've already said it's like a facsimile of football and it's not ideal, of course, it's, it's at least fair across the board, right? Yeah, and on top of that as well, Luke there also might be some stadiums where there'll be no fans at all. Because if you're in a tier three area, the stadiums aren't going to be allowed to have any fans whatsoever. And by the way, we should hopefully know what tiers we're in by around Thursday. The government are hoping to announce it by then. So at the moment, if you're lucky enough to be in one of the lower risk areas, so in tier one, then 4,000 fans will be allowed into these sporting venues or 50% of the capacity, whichever's lower. And then in tier two areas, it's up to 2,000 fans. But as I said, no fans allowed in tier three. So this is interesting because as you say, Luke, this could mean that certain stadiums and certain fan bases won't have any fans at all Mm. in comparison to others. And, And is that fair? I mean, I think there will come a time in the season where this will start to become a bit of a discussion point, won't it? I think, though, that unfortunately the situation we're in, these sort of variables around off-pitch fairness and unfairness are just something we have to compromise on because mm. of the situation. Like I feel like you know, this season, the message of this season in, in a lot of ways is like a middle-aged man going, well, life isn't fair. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's just sort of like we just have to deal with it in the ways that we can. And well, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know what a solution to that situation is because people's health is what is being managed. Really, but there's all, there's, all, there's, all, there's all sorts of aspects of football which don't necessarily seem fair anyway. Mm. We shouldn't forget that. But, I mean, it's, being, it's going to be down to the clubs to decide, I think. As, at the time of recording, the clubs themselves are able to choose um, how these fans are given these tickets and who comes in, who does, who doesn't, and there's suggestions that you know at some of the the Premier League grounds it'll be these platinum members or these gold members or basically yeah. the people who've paid the most, which you, you kind of understand the logic there. But what I would do if it were my club is I would get people to start auditioning and I would be taking a <laughs> decibel measure and the, the 4,000, well, it is 4,000, loudest people would be, like, for example, Big Pav, I always talk about mm. on the show, he's claimed to fame as being the loudest member of any room he's ever been in. Uh, get him in there straight away because it's going to make a huge difference. For example, if you were auditioning to be, say, your club's loudest fan, could you bring a bell? Or would that be seen as an unfair advantage? Yeah, you have to sanitise it. How? <laughs> a bell? Trust me, say, it'll need some sanitising anyway. Did you yeah, say big Johnny bell? Westwood at Pompey. Jim's winding me up, Jules, because uh, John Westwood, the famous Pompey fan with the bell. Right, uh, got it, and, got it. Uh, you know, if we're going to we're going to start talking about embarrassing South Coast <laughs> South Coast club fans. Jules Breach, how are you doing? Oh, come on, look, the those... Mandalorian, how are you doing? <laughs> have you heard how loud those seagulls are? They'll yeah, wake, know, they will yeah. wake you actually. up any morning of the week. They will. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And they're massive as well. Yeah. Like they say, everyone goes, oh, it's because they eat so many chips. But it's like, if I eat chips, I don't get taller. <laughs> the big, the biggest, um, I can, I, well, I am actually quite tall and I do eat a lot of chips. So well, maybe there's yeah. something to that. But, but I, I actually think the biggest seagulls I've ever seen have been in Cornwall, not, right. not Brighton. Really? They're the probably on Cornwall. holiday. From what Brighton. do they eat? Yeah. I think, I think they just booze a lot. Right, fair, fair. <laughs> booze a lot, uh, and so they eat a lot of kebabs. Yeah. I once you... tried to feed a Malteser to a seagull, and uh, it was one of the most amusing things I've ever seen in my life because they can't pick them up with their beaks. <laughs> cruelty. Mm. I, I know. Rambles, jewels, breach, and cruelty. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't. I once saw he didn't a eat seagull it, so... that recently pulled a pigeon's head off. What? So, yeah. What? Really? They're horrible. They're do horrible you, things. Do you, remember, do you guys remember... Um, 
back in the day when when the world wasn't as mad as it is now there was a massive story because a pelican in St James's Park in central London was filmed eating a pigeon yeah oh no. Yeah, that was one of the biggest stories of the year then. Back yeah. in the heady days of like 2008 <laughs> or whatever, when nothing happened. I don't remember yeah. that. That's they disgusting. wouldn't even make the news in brief these days. Exactly, yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh, heady days. We had the cat in a bin woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All that stuff. <laughs> nothing going on back then, Jules. No, there wasn't. Uh, but some other good COVID news, which I feel like is something we don't really say uh, yeah. very often, but uh, also announced yesterday is that organised grassroots football can also make a return, which is great news for... Uh, particularly a lot of a lot of young kids who haven't been able to to socialize and we've talked already quite a lot on football ramble about the mental health benefits of everyone playing grassroots football as well and gyms opening leisure centers reopening across all tiers so luke you can get back in the gym Thank you very much. And, and I would like to, what I'd like to know, Jules, is as, uh, as this man sat next to me is um, our most notable gym, will you be reopening um, for yourself for, for people to frequent you yeah, for, for a monthly fee? I'm always open for a fee. <laughs> so there you go. Jim's actually flouted COVID lockdown by uh, remaining open the whole time as yeah. a gym, which gym. is very disappointing. Well, you know. You little rebel. <laughs> you can pay him a monthly fee and swim all over him. He don't yeah. mind. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I feel like the sound. No, of but that. I th- on a more serious note, I think I think you know. Look, clearly, managing the virus and managing the transmission between people and keeping on top of it all is of paramount importance. But you're absolutely right to touch on the fact that you know a lot of these things are really important as well. You know, being able to go and play football with your friends, being able to go to the gym, it's massively important mm. to a lot of people. And I think if they can be managed effectively, I think there's an as- there's an aspect of of the reputation of places like gym. Jim's not Jim himself. Getting confused. Yeah, where they're just oh, it's all just meatheads who just you know they can they can do yeah. something else or whatever, go for a run or whatever. Like Jim, you're a testament to this. You you started going to the gym. It was a massive mm. part of your life, and it turned yeah. your life around because you were an absolute nightmare I before was. that, weren't you? I was you? a mess. Yeah. So now he's now I he's having a, a great sort time. Of sad grey mess. Yeah. And now I'm just sad. sad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good news all round. If we can manage these things effectively and we can stay on top of the virus as well, it can only be a good thing. And I think you know I, I'm hoping after 2020 has been a complete write-off for lots of different reasons um 2021 will fingers crossed be a little bit different yeah i think and i think with with the grassroots football um stuff in particular i think this is it makes complete sense it's almost like a common sense move when you think that especially when you when you talk about the younger generation they've all been going to school anyway and mixing with all sorts of other households so the fact that they're allowed to just go out and play football with their mates now and and actually and train again and, and do the stuff that they love doing in their spare time. It makes complete common sense to me. Um, so yeah, lots of good news in the last 24 hours, which is good. Um, let's mm. move on to last night's matches now. A couple of games to touch on. Uh, Burnley getting their first win of the season. We'll come on to that. Uh, but let's start with what was the better of the two games, I'd say. Uh, Wolves won, Southampton won. Goals from Neto and Theo Walcott. Um, it was actually quite an entertaining draw, this one. A hard-fought point for both sides. And I thought that what was um, quite interesting heading into the game is that there was all this talk about whether or not Connor Cody would be fit and be able to play because he'd been self-isolating after the international break and he didn't pass that test. He he finished his self-isolation period, but because he hadn't trained with the team, he couldn't start. And that meant that Wolves went with a slightly different setup to normal. They played with four mm. at the back, which left them quite open in the first half. But it did mean that in terms of their attack, they had more shots than they've 
ever had since being promoted to the Premier League. So it's actually a really entertaining game, Jim. Yeah, it was. And that, I guess that gives Nuno a bit of a bit of food for thought, doesn't it? That if he does want to uh, you know, really, really ramp it up, and it's not like Wolves are shot shy to begin with, that he, he has got that option if they really want to sort of click into another gear, which could actually be useful for a team like Wolves that are effectively looking for, they're looking to expand their margins at every opportunity. Because they finished seventh, in the past two seasons, haven't they? So they're going to be, they want to, they're going to want to go and, you know, go a little bit better than that this year. Um, but it, I just, it was a really good game, wasn't it? Despite, I mean, the scoreline suggests that it was kind of a little bit drab, but actually, it was, it was pretty good because they're two teams that move the ball really, really well. So even though Wolves probably had the better of it when you look at how many shots they had, Southampton always looked like they could do something as well. And I, I feel like. I'm starting to feel for people that enjoy quite beardy football fans that enjoy talking about underrated players because I think Stuart Armstrong may now have tipped over from being underrated into just being rated. Oh, okay. So it's a sad day for them. What's the official um, bureau for that kind of uh, judgment, though? Because uh, I feel like we need to know that. I think it's probably Monday Night Football, isn't it? If yeah, you're focused <laughs> on in Monday Night Football yeah, in some way. Yeah, you cross the you've, threshold. You've crossed the line. Yeah. Speaking of shots, I think um, I'm. I'm, I'm going to incur the wrath of all the stat watchers everywhere, but I think I'm right in saying that every outfield player for Wolves in this game had a shot, with the exception of Ruben Neves, who always oh, wow. shoots, which is quite a weird thing. What, in and, last and then, of course, night's game? Yeah, and I, th- I think exactly. And I, th- I think Pedro Neto, who came on for Ruben Neves, obviously scored, yeah. makes up for that. Pretty much immediately as well. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, th- I think, and please don't... I mean, you can write in if you want, but I, I'm pretty sure everyone <laughs> apart from... Um, Ruben Neves had a shot for Wolves, outfield players at least. All right, I was going to say, not the goalkeeper. No, 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 he didn't. That's a shame. But when when, when, um, Nuno was asked after the game um, who would ever play four at the back again, it's like he didn't understand the question, wasn't it? It was a bit like, (laughs) he kind of looked a little bit wistful. Yeah. And then just talked about how happy he was. And there was an amazing shot of of Nuno and Ralph Ralph. Hasenhutl slash David Morrissey walking (laughs) off the pitch together at the end because they had a little chuckle at the end, didn't they? And it genuinely looked like there were two detectives walking away from like a serious crime scene. (laughs) Like that, you could see their breath. One has got a massive beard. They were kind of looking at each other. It was a very powerfully dramatic scene. It was. It's funny, isn't it? Like, do you remember when Antonio Conte started at Chelsea and um, it, it didn't have the best start? So he switched to five at the back. Against Arsenal. Again, that's right. Yeah. And we hadn't seen that in like, it felt like ever. Yeah. And Since you were 96. Like this real maverick move. Yeah. And now, and now now, people are kind of like going mad at the idea of playing four at the back as if it's the most kind of controversial, <laughs> well, unusual this thing. This new exactly. system. It, it used to be, it used to be literally every team would set up like that for yeah. like, for years at a time. Well, and, and Southampton are a team who they played 4-4-2 uh, yesterday. They played 4-4-2 a decent amount and they're an exceptionally well-drilled, mm. well-organised team. I think I think um, I mean, Big Top Brass will be able to tell me if I'm wrong, but um, I'm 99.9% sure that Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid play 4-4-2 quite a lot, or they have done in the past, and they're a really well-drilled side. I, don't, I think people get too het up with this kind of stuff. Yeah, the I idea think... that you're vulnerable if you've only got four defenders. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Connor Cody is, is a huge miss for for Wolves yeah. for obvious reasons. I would have him start in for England. I think he's a fantastic mm. centre back. He's brilliant in that three. If England want to play a three, I'd play Connor Cody. Um, Jules obviously picked up that he's um, 
he was he was self-isolating, but they'll be desperate to get him back. Overall, I think it was a well-fought-out game with a nice tempo, enjoyable to watch, um, when compared to the other game that happened last night, which we'll talk about <laughs> later. Um, and and I, I think a draw was a fair result. Two, as much as it pains me to say it, on one side of the ledger, two very good teams. Yeah. So, and then let's not forget that, um, that Southampton were without Danny Ings as well. So, you know, there's a lot of positives to take for both sides, but the most positives we can take are the fact that both Nuno and Ralph Harson, who till both look like men, you'd be happy to rally around and stand behind and look to in a crisis. And we are in a national crisis at yeah. the moment. So that's why they're both doing so well. They, they 100% went into Nuno's office and had a glass of red wine, didn't they? Oh, totally. I don't reckon it was a red wine. I reckon it was, it was a very strong black coffee out of a polystyrene cup. <laughs> and one of them said to the other, he's killed before. <laughs> And he'll kill again, and we've got to stop it. And they are now currently in some kind of 80s saloon car driving to another crime scene, perhaps on some wasteland by the Thames, um, looking about what they're going to do next. Yeah, and periodic reminder, uh, as any sort of joke like this comes up, um, Ian Dezayu, former Pompey defender, is genuinely a homicide detective in Amsterdam. He might be right retired now. by now. He, he might have done, actually. That fact yeah. has been doing around for so long. It that could just be, be one last case, though. He might he might be get him in, specialist. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Hire him. Brilliant, isn't it? Um, yeah. um, it's interesting that we, you know, we've spoken about um, Wolves going to four, to four at the back rather than three, but Southampton's goal was kind of uncharacteristically sloppy at the back from Wolves, wasn't it? Because it was Theo Walcott just sort of left with a gaping goal, and he will punish you then. Like he, there's a, do- a lot of sometimes. times where Theo will not punish you. <laughs> yeah. Those is likely to be one of he, them. He said that he couldn't remember his uh, last goal for Southampton. I mean, he he was a little boy, wasn't he? It's half like, his age ago. I mean, it's half fifth, his age ago. it was so long ago, though, wasn't it? Like, what, 15-odd yeah. years ago, which It'd is It'd be crazy. like me trying to remember something that I did of note when I was 20, and I can confirm, well, I didn't do anything of note when I was 20. That might be why, but I can't remember either. So. You were probably yeah. pissed, Luke, Jules- at 20. <laughs> Jules, can you remember something you did half your life ago? So when you were 24... I'll piss off. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that was coming. Yeah. Um, but good was, news for Theo, though. Yeah it, yeah, it was. It was, and his interview at the end was lovely, wasn't it? He just he talks. He he. He's a he nice lad. Of, he seems like a really lovely lad, doesn't he? And he, he talks with a smile on his face. I mean, he scored in fourteen consecutive Premier League seasons now, mm. which is quite incredible considering he's only thirty-one years old. I mean, he's achieved so much and. When he was asked about this sort of new centre forward role that he's playing in, he sort of said, "You know, I, I'm I'm secretly enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying kind of being in that front two with Che Adams and and actually a shout out to Che Adams, who I think is in that scale of underrated players." Jim, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so because I think his reputation changed, didn't he? he scored a lot of goals for Birmingham, or he certainly had a season where he did, and Southampton brought him in to be a goal scorer, or it seemed that way at least. Um, I, I can't, you know. Uh, confess to know what goes on in David Morris's mind, but um, <laughs> I think that that expectation has been adjusted, isn't it? He's adjusted his game to be a, you know, a bit more of a link-up striker, yeah, and he's doing it brilliant. fantastically well. Yeah. yeah, he's superb. Came to the Premier League in a lot of fanfare. People thought he was perfectly suited for the division, and it's taken him a while to settle in. And I think you know that's not hugely unusual in, in the grand scheme of football over the years. Um, and you know, good on him. He's, he's kind of seems to have. Seems to have been able to adapt by now, but I think it was. I'd like to think that with with Theo Walcott playing up front through the middle, uh, that Arsene Wenger just rang him and said, <laughs> "Good news, Theo, you are actually finally going to be playing up front, <laughs> yeah. through the middle, but it's going to be for Southampton." Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, he did miss a sitter, though, didn't he? Well, maybe not a sitter, but he had a one-on-one he that he probably scored. should have done yeah. better with. Yeah. He did. And it's, it's test- one of the things is interesting is it's testament to how the media works and how the expectations of the player works in certain situations. Because Theo Walcott, clearly, as we've already touched on, breaks through at the age of 16, moves to Arsenal, it gets that ridiculous call-up to the World Cup squad mm. very early on in his career, and is now always going to be seen as this guy who had this amazing potential and 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 what it's done is it's clouded our ability to to kind of yeah. judge his career right he's played over 500 games in the in the um, in um in professional football i mean yeah. he's 31 years old he could i mean if, if he stays fit and he adapts his game even further he could make a huge amount of appearances in the top flight as a professional yeah. football player and and he will still probably be judged as someone who <clears throat> never quite filled that Potential, even though he got almost fifty England caps, you know he's won a couple of trophies as well. Um, yeah, I, I just think he's an interesting case, isn't he? Here, and he also he, mm. do, he does genuinely seem like a lovely lad. And in life, that is important. Yeah, I, mean, I think I'm pretty sure he scored over a hundred goals for Arsenal. He scored a hat trick for England. He's done a lot of things that were that are really, really you know notable. But as you say, I think he will just always have that hanging over him because of that mad decision. And also, footballers tend, even as I get older, and you, the way you kind of I don't know, almost read people's faces changes. Like footballers seem ageless, right? Like, yeah. like a young footballer still looks to me like they're older than me. Do you know what I mean? If, if they're, like, if they're you, athletic mate. enough, right? <laughs> Theo Walcott. I'm looking at you now, yeah. and I've got I've got news for you, mate. <laughs> Theo Walcott looked like a little boy, didn't he? Yeah, when he, he did. when he yeah. when he was called up for England, he looked like he was twelve. Now Jules, he's got a top knot. He has exactly. So have you? Y'all can see you right now. You've got a top knot. <laughs> Jules, are you have you ever interviewed Theo? I haven't interviewed Theo before, no. but do, do you know what? I actually think that different to what you guys are saying, I think it obviously in terms of his England career, it will always be seen as what could he have achieved. But I do think that in terms of his later Premier League career, this is this is a really good step for him. And I think that this potentially could see a bit of a revival in in the kind of final stages of his football career. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I hope It'd be so. nice to have it for him to have a sort of swan song there. Because really, he didn't actually play for Southampton that much. No, he, he just didn't. wasn't there for long before he moved to Arsenal. Exactly. But yeah, good news for Southampton, though. Sorry, Luke, yeah. but they are fifth in the you Premier League, unbeaten in seven now. And uh, I think them and Wolves certainly going to be the two teams outside of the traditional top six who who could potentially break into it this season. All right, let's move on and talk about... Pardew, he's back in business, yes. boys. Um, and this side, not as a manager, but as a director of football. Yes, you heard that right. He is the new director of football at CSKA Sofia. I mean, what on earth? I didn't see this <laughs> yeah, coming. you can't keep a good man down. And that also applies to Alan Pardew. Um, There's nothing like a good man, and he is nothing like a good man. <laughs> you guys, this is interesting, right? Because CSKA are the army team of Sofia. Right. And the statement on the club's website, um, their nickname is the Army Men. And the statement on the on the website we went into all sorts of different stuff about um, the big red family of the army and referred to Alan as uh, English football specialist Alan Pardew. And I don't know about you guys and Jules. <laughs> this might be a, a cultural reference lost on you, but I know Jim will know what I'm talking about. For me, Alan at CSK Moscow as a team of the army. She's got massive Ross Kemp in extras vibes about it. <laughs> where he just yeah. thinks he's an actual SAS soldier. Oh, totally. I have so, seen that. I do uh, know yes, the Jules. you mean. Yeah. Yes, Jules. Love so he did, he, he's going he's gonna to walk around in army fatigues, yeah. talk about how he's going to prop himself up at the clubhouse, end of, end of the bar in the clubhouse, talking about how he was in the SAS. Yeah. All sorts going Fought on. in the Falklands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Saying things like, turn up. Yeah. <laughs> so if like, 
if talking massive hypotheticals here, if Bulgaria do get involved in some sort of conflict, does Alan effectively get sort of called up into the, into the organisation? <laughs> do they are they like do they stay as the army team? Imagine the in, news in wartime. The news being broken to him, and he just that, that golden smile just drops from his face. <laughs> you what? Yeah, I've got to do what? I can't. I'm still under contract with Newcastle. You're not anymore, Alan. It ran out earlier this year. Damn. <laughs> that is bizarre, though, by the way, that he, he's had like three jobs since he left Newcastle. Crystal Palace, West Brom, and then he was at Den Haag, the Dutch yeah. side. Um, but his contract at Newcastle only ended in June. Yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it it's, it's um. I mean, people forget that you know he had a, he had a he had a very good season or two at Newcastle. An inconvenient truth, as much as that mm. is anything. But you know, I, I really like the statement on the website. As I've said, it ends and it's 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 gonna. This statement, if if Alan's looked at it, it would have caused him to double tape because the very last sentence <laughs> was "Welcome to the army, Mr. Alan Pardew," <laughs> and he's fifty nine, so he's hoping. Yeah. God, I hope I'm not actually in the army. You know. Oh well, let's see what he can do there, director of football. So. He'll be in charge of getting in all the best players. I wonder who we might see well, move out it's, there. It's the best job in football because if it goes really well, you get a 5,000-word article about you in The Athletic. Yeah. And if it goes terribly, you just leave. And no one blames no you one anyway. The manager goes, so it's fine. He's, he, he can't. In many ways, it's interesting that it's taken this long for Alan to work out the grift. <laughs> and uh, he's now doing a great time, having a great time of it, I'm sure. Bit of a Sven vibe. Do you know what I mean? Big a little time. world tour. Big time. Absolutely, yeah, big time. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Well, welcome to the army, Alan Pardew. Uh, <laughs> let's take a break after this. We've got your emails. Hi, I'm Jermaine Defoe, and this is the Football Ramble. You're listening to the Football Ramble. It's now time for this. Justina Show her Yes, get in touch with us. You can email show at footballramble.com or if you're on the Twitter, give us a tweet. It's at footballramble. And we've got Jules, this one. Um, yeah. Sorry, before you go into it, any any new any kind of comment from you on the uh, the tweet that showed you uh, photoshopped as the Mandalorian with uh, Tarek Lamptey's Baby Yoda yesterday? Well, I've I've never seen a single Star Wars film, so I don't... <laughs> I, I don't, a film. I don't actually... Un- oh wait is it the series or the film yeah oh yeah the, the Mandalorian, series. Yeah. yeah no i mean i literally i don't understand any of it i know who but i know who yoda is um yeah. and did find those photos quite amusing um yeah. i mean people have got so much time on their hands well they're at home aren't they they're stuck <laughs> yeah. at home i know it, i mean i was pleasantly surprised at the effort put into that and uh especially when i think it was was it ryan there was another guy on twitter after lorenzo put his up his two photos that was like, for fuck's sake, I've just spent ages building this and now I didn't need to. Last week we had um, Andy photoshopped as um, Guile and Blanca from Street Fighter 2. Mm. And then yesterday we had you as the Mandalorian. So basically you're so an intergalactic good. bounty hunter that's looking after this little small Yoda thing. It, it actually yeah. looked quite what good. What comes next? Who knows? Yeah, who knows what comes next? Uh, exactly. I have to say, I did tag Tarek Lamptey in it and he replied with laughing emojis. And so he, he thoroughly enjoyed it as well. There you go. Oh, there see you go. go. 
Great oh, stuff. Maybe we can get you to reenact that picture somehow. <laughs> Jimmy's up for being held in a little sack on your back. <laughs> oh, little floating God. orb. <laughs> Imagine if Tarek Lamptey played on the right back, right back in a floating orb. It kind of feels like he does that anyway yeah, so quick. He does. Anyway, emails. Yes. So uh, we've got an email here from the heartbreak kid, Darren Michaels. Nice. After Paul Just Dickov. A sexy boy. He <laughs> certainly is. He's enclosed a very graphic photo. He hasn't. Um, <laughs> after Paul Dickov was mentioned on Luke's game a few weeks ago, it made me think back to the crazy start of the 96-97 season he had where he played for seven different managers before New Year's Day. He was at Arsenal <laughs> when Bruce Rioch was sacked uh, days before the start of the season. Stuart Houston then took charge and Paul was sold 10 days later. He was Alan Ball's last signing at Manchester City before Ball left four days later. Uh, Asa Hartford was then caretaker manager for six weeks before Steve Coppel came and went within 33 days. Coppel's assistant, Phil Neal, took caretaker charge for six weeks before Frank Clark was appointed permanent manager. Two days before New Year's Day, becoming Paul's seventh manager of the season. That That's is a, That is some upheaval, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is massive. And Paul Dickov is a pretty good follow on Twitter, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? He, um, his, his pinned tweet is um, something about, um, he said, my kids always ask why the City fans sung Where Were You When We Were Shit? And I always used to say, I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite stuff. funny. But yeah, good email. Yeah, keep your emails coming in to us. We love hearing from you guys. Show at footballramble.com. All right, let's get to the other game last night. It was the earlier kickoff. Uh, did you watch it, Luke? <laughs> I did watch it, yeah, um, and survived to tell the tale. Um, <laughs> but I will need to go through several rounds of uh, emotionally uh, wrought therapy to uh, get over it. Uh, it, wasn't no, it wasn't that bad. It was all right. I mean, it was the thing right. is, do you know what? They, with, with this game, they set off on a hide into nothing with me because it was my wedding anniversary yesterday. Ah, oh, happy and, anniversary. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, happy um, anniversary. Yeah, thank you. We're married, married 45 years. And... Um, <laughs> And so this game kicked off, what, 5.30 or something? It was, it was yeah. early anyway, and it felt too early. And I, I thought, you know what? I've got to watch it because I'm on the show tomorrow. And my wife is very understanding about it. But it kind of just annoyed me that I was spending my anniversary doing it. I bet she yeah. was like, you're watching Burnley against Crystal Palace on our anniversary. Yeah. You lasted mm. four years, Luke. You might not last many more. I, I just, yeah, yeah, I just I, commitment, I, but yeah, maybe the, in the wrong direction. That's going to be the case anyway, Jules. That's absolutely <laughs> clear. This will very much be a, a, a tiny straw on the camel's back. But I just don't think in principle, I know we've all got to make adjustments and make compromises, but I just don't think we should have to watch Burnley Crystal Palace at 5.30 to me, that is a Saturday three o'clock. Yeah. Don't televise it. Um, if you have to, stick it on the BBC. No, 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 no. You put it on Saturday three o'clock. It means we've got to watch it on BT Sports Score. And, and uh, yeah, we'd but you're getting paid to do that. that. Yeah, and there's other <laughs> games you can watch as well. Yeah. And you can just talk to Andy. It's That's a textbook true. game where if, if it's on BT Sports Score, the presenter, not you, the other one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> chucks to the um, chucks to the guy watching it and says, or the girl watching it and says, any news? No, no news. No news. There's yeah, no nothing's, news. nothing's yeah. happened. Yeah. It's yeah. actually quite impressive. Yeah. It's one of those games where it's nice to have a bit of colour in the room because the pitch is green. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought, yeah. It's like the best bit. Similar to snooker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, but... I, I didn't think this game was great. Um, I like the vicious shout that Chris Wood looks like uh, the most friend of a friend looking mm. bloke you've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> just pops up on an occasional night out. You never fully find out what his second name is or who he actually yeah. knows. Or you forget his first solid. name as well. Yeah, he's a solid. He's a solid guy, though. He will. It will stand you a pint. Uh, and I was pleased for him to get a goal. Beyond that, um, 
you know, I could say something about the fact that they miss Zaha because that's clearly a big miss for Crystal Palace. But then Crystal Palace fans will get on my back and say, well, actually, well, actually, well, actually. Mm. Um, and that's what I've got you, to say, you, really. You can hit them with a stat, Luke. Say, well, well, Palace fans, you've lost 13 of your last 15 games without Wilfred Zaha. So come at yeah. me. Mm. Yeah, and, and I thought I thought that, um, you know, we mentioned this when he signed, but when Eze signed for Palace... You thought, okay, here's a guy who can carry the ball. He's really good at carrying the ball and he can take the pressure off Palace in the same way kind of Zaha does. Um, I know Palace had their chances. I know that they had a, a plenty Nick of Pope chances. Nick Pope was brilliant, to be fair. I think he was given yeah, man of the match, actually. Yeah, so look, yeah, yeah. it doesn't tell the whole story. Mm. Um, on, on the Burnley side, though, they needed the win really badly. And as Sean Dyche said... Um, you know, once they um, run it, run his voice through that that changer where you can get it in the right octave, where you can actually hear it. Um, he said uh, it's a platform for us. Um, it's something we need to build on, and he's absolutely right because their first win of the season. Now they've got a game in hand, but it's still their first win of the season. They lift themselves out of the relegation zone. If they win their game in hand, uh, they'll stay exactly where they are. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, <laughs> it's a platform, isn't it? Yeah. And also, I mean, like their first win of the season, it seems. I think we're, are we glossing over that? That's that's it's so late for it's us to be so saying late. that about yeah. any team, and yeah. let alone that it's their first goal at home. Like they really yeah. have kind of gone well, under the radar, of, as, having a pretty terrible time of it. I don't. Uh, I, I I think I know there was that season when Burnley got into Europe, scoring less than a goal a game. I that think was only on a couple average, of seasons ago, two yeah. seasons ago, wasn't it? But Jules, they've scored four goals in eight games this season. That is nineteen goals this season pro rata. For the whole season. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to stay in the Premier League scoring 19 goals this season. They know something's got to change. Mm. Um, I, I was I was saying before that it might be a little bit early to judge teams because it's such a such an amount of adjustment going on. Um, but you wonder whether they're suffering from the pre-season situation by the fact that they rely so heavily on their work rate. They rely a lot on their home form as well. And we've yeah. talked about this already. The home form's kind of out the window in some cases now. So there's a lot to be... Um, a lot to be fearful for. There's also a lot to be said for this season more than any other that a couple of teams are going to stay in this division by just not being as shit as three, yeah. three other teams. And that's what we're going to see. This yeah. is a sort of, this is a kind of bread and butter kind of result for Burnley, isn't it? These are the kind of wins oh, they have to, that, have to that win keep that game. them up. This that, was, that this have was kept a game, wasn't it? Yeah, so they, they, would have been, they would have been eyeing this one, wouldn't they, Jim? Home yeah. game against Crystal Palace. Say what you want about fans or no fans, but being at home they will still be eyeing up these sort of ties as the ones that they needed to win. And mm. I think now, from a, from a mental perspective as well, for the Burnley players, they've now got that first home win out the way, the first win of the season. They're now out of the bottom three in the Premier League as well. All of that will make a difference to the dressing room. Just kind of that bit of relief, isn't it? Because there yeah. can be nothing worse as players if every week after your match, you, you keep hearing everyone in the media talk about, oh, there's still three teams waiting for their first win of the season. Well, yeah. now Burnley aren't in that anymore. So now there's only two teams waiting for their first win of the season. And I think Burnley will be pleased that they've they've got that off their back. They've got their win. They've got their home goal. Got more points on the board. And uh, I mean, I just feel like it would have been a massive relief. And you could see that in Jay Rodriguez, who got the assist for Chris Wood's goal. Um in his in his interview post match, he he just seemed so relieved. It was actually quite a nice interview as well because Jamie Carragher brought up the whole happy place, happy place turf more thing from yes. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Have you guys been watching? I, I don't think we've yeah, talked I've about that yet. I've seen a bit of it. Yeah, I've, I've seen that that thing you're talking about, and I saw Mo Farah, a knight of the realm. No, why is Mo Farah? Why is Mo Farah even doing it? Well, mm. I I thought that as well, Luke. He's got, I, he's got I, the Olympics. I'm only just learning that he is. That's Jim, he's got the Olympics next year. 
Yeah. I mean, what's going on? He's, 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 he's running around some room of slime all over the floor, <laughs> falling on his ass every five minutes. He's got the Olympics next year. Is that how he's training, though? Is he doubling it up? <laughs> yeah, it seems like a breeze. Slime Olympics. Yeah, he's yeah, covered yeah. in maggots, sliming around all over the floor. I have seen, so I've seen a bit of it, yeah. It's great. I just love it. I mean, it's such good telly at the moment for people who need a bit of cheering up. But Jay Rodriguez is Jay Rodriguez is the world's most northern man. Yeah, he is violently yeah. northern. It's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it beggars belief how northern he is. Well, Jamie asked, put... Jamie Carragher asked him to say the happy place, happy place turf more yeah, than him because I, I think all that, of yeah. his teammates have been getting him to do impersonations of Jordan North from from the um, show. So it was quite by, nice. By the, by the way. Um, when Mauricio Pochettino was on Monday Night Football, the internet went mad with he's on manoeuvres rumours. Yeah. And uh, Eddie Howe was in there last night, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was. What manoeuvres is Eddie on? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, is he? Is he? He's just being a nice man. He's got nothing he? to go. Nothing to do. Yeah. I just, I just feel like it's interesting that you know you've got a, two highly rated out of work managers, and Pochettino sets the world on fire when he goes on Monday Night Football because he's got his hair and he's a charmer. But Eddie Howe's a good-looking fella, and he's got highly rated, and people have linked in with jobs. I want to know where he's going. Mm. I think the Derby fans would, wouldn't mind having a bit of Eddie Howe at Derby, but that's if they can, if he can see off Toby Hall, who's who's a nine-year-old oh, yeah. who applied for this. the job. Did you see I this, this, Jim? I did see this, and the thing that. I put him up front. Mm. They can't score. They can't buy a goal. <laughs> <laughs> put him up front. The thing with this is, he was interviewed on the radio, wasn't he? Where he uh, he, he actually pretty much had a sort of like mock job interview. It was very cute. It was very cute, but it's been humid enough that at some point this kid is going to be crushed. Like <laughs> there is going to be a. He's thinking in Chris, his head. Oh, Christmas is coming up. Yeah. What's going to happen? Maybe they will give me the job. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they actually will. There, yeah. there was genuinely a point, wasn't there, Jim? Where when Mel Morris started asking him questions about moving closer to Pride Park, you could see his little face. He was a bit like, "Hang on a minute." Hang and on, and yeah, I loved what? his, I loved his response to it as well. He was like, "Well, my nanny and granddad only live ten miles from Pride Park, so we can go oh, see God. them on the way." Oh, yeah. bless him. Um, Morris is like, "Oh God, I'm going to have to destroy." <laughs> this kid on radio for his own good I saw the um, quotes written down before I saw the actual interview which I watched afterwards and when I read this quote I like football a lot I like designing formations and I think I'm quite good at it I genuinely thought it was a Pep Guardiola quote yeah <laughs> Exactly, sort of in Pep Guardiola would say. A bit where he looks like, though he's he's physically in the room, his eyes suggest he's in some other realm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's he's yet to earn his um, coaching badges, so he can't yeah, have he's a job. Nine, well, Jules, he's um, nine years he's, old. I know, unfortunate, yeah. isn't he? Probably it? not got a driving licence either. No, yeah. no, no. Like uh, Jim. No, I haven't got one, though, <laughs> for good reason. Can you not drive, Jim? No, I had a test and it was deemed that it wasn't safe for me to drive. I mounted the curb while a lady in a mobility scooter was coming down the other way, which I imagine was a major what? fail. On the actual test? When yes. was that? On the test. That was a long time ago. How long uh, ago? In Brighton, actually. So was it? Been four, four years, four or five years ago. And you've never gone back since? No. Well, um, I live in London. What's the point of having a car in London, etc., etc. Policeman getting younger. Uh, <laughs> How on earth did you mount the curb on your driving test? Well, Jules, look. Well, I'm not a confident driver, shall yeah. we say. I think if... Uh, I'm trying to say this in the most tactful way possible, because obviously, as you guys know, I'm a very tactful man. Um, I think that if I was drawing up a list of the 10 people I know that I'd like least to get in the car with, <laughs> Jim would be in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, I am... You would be in your own top 10, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced that roundabouts have, like, a personal vendetta against me. That's yeah. how, like... That's the sort of milestone that my head becomes when I get oh, into a car. I'd, l I'd love to be sat there with Jim getting ready to pull out at a roundabout 
and just panicking at what's you coming. Wouldn't. No, you <laughs> wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> Trust me. You'd want to be in a Volvo estate if that were the case to make sure you're safe as possible. Or maybe a tank. So, <laughs> how many goes did it take you on your driving test? Me? Yeah. I passed first time. Oh, of course you did. How many I minus? Did. How many? I think I had 13 minors. At the oh, time. I beat yeah. you. Five minors yeah. for me. Yeah, but it's like A-levels. They get easier as, you, as the time goes mm. along. I did mine in 1974, so I <laughs> got easier then. All the, best, all the best drivers fail the first test. <laughs> such bollocks, Because as we've established, you are a dreadful driver and you failed first time. Exactly. So it can't be true. Exactly. Anyway. Um, we were talking about I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here a minute ago, with um, the Burnley game. And uh, did you guys see this? That Neil Warnock said that he was asked to go into it. He said, I was nearly in the jungle. It might have been two or three years ago, but I was approached. And he said, imagine if I'd said yes, everybody would have been voting for me, wouldn't they, to do every bloody thing? Uh, yeah, I think we would have done. Oh, really? That would have been genius. It would have been great, wouldn't it? I'm so aware of what we've missed out on then. Yeah. Imagine Neil Warnock like eating a kangaroo's anus just so <laughs> loads of people he doesn't even like. And then eat. going along with celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, um, would you, if, if Neil Warnock was on it, would you watch it? Oh, my God, every day. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Man's box office. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like um, on I'm a Celebrity, you get you get the, the people who um, get chosen for every task are either really funny, as in they think, oh, it's going to be great entertainment value, yeah. or they're going to be hated, and that's why they get chosen. Yeah. And weirdly, Neil is both. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I think he probably would have got every single challenge. There's this perception about Neil Warnock that's slightly wrong, isn't there? That he's this kind of grumpy, kind of almost like disciplinarian, mm. which I think is a surface level, entry level opinion of Neil yeah. Warnock. But he is quite warm and affable, what's the, what, in a quite spiky way. It's a weird... What's the fully woke position. opinion? Like, Is it like, oh, he's actually... Because he, I would imagine him to be... I can I can kind of see why players like playing for him because I can imagine he he'd be, he's almost like and clearly he's not in the same level as this so I'll take this under advice he's clearly got a bit of the Brian Clough kind of come on lad arm yeah. around the shoulder you know you that's you the headline kind of, of the show special. now Luke you I know, know that. yeah I know Neil Warnock Luke confess Neil Warnock to Brian Clough <laughs> I've had I've had um, I've had worse don't worry but you know what I mean he put, <laughs> put his arm around you he'd be really encouraging of you but he'd give you a bollocking if he did something wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. but he yeah. would he would be super honest so, so I do get the attraction and I wonder where if he went and I'm a celebrity, he would be almost like the grandfather of the camp and he'd actually end up being really popular. A little bit like yeah. Harry Redknapp was. Yeah, I didn't watch that season. Oh, I, it was I didn't watch brilliant. that season. Oh, it was so good. And I think the thing with Neil Warnock is if he went in, he would be the classic. He'd come out with so many good one-liners, wouldn't he? Mm. Oh, definitely. Um, speaking of Harry Redknapp, he had an amazing one the other day where he was talking about how the wages for players are unreal and all this, that and the other. And um, someone then pointed out on Twitter that when he left Portsmouth, uh, Portsmouth's wages were 108% of turnover. So, you know, he's like, he's yeah. like, was he chuckling as he said that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> not ideal. What was that on, Luke? It was on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, was it? On the old Twitters, yeah. yeah exactly. Chairman, mate. Blame the chairman. Yes, I, I, didn't see, I didn't actually see him when I'm a celebrity. Did he win it, Jules? I think he did, didn't he? he was... uh, yes, he did. King of the Jungle. Wow, there we go. Yes. It was very good. Very good. Um, I wonder if that's a small consolation for not being England manager. 
<laughs> maybe uh, right that's all from us today if you enjoyed this episode there's plenty more where that came from over on our patreon for as little as five dollars a month you can have access to exclusive extra ramble on episodes where we bring you something a little bit different every week one week we'll look back on a huge moment from football history the next it'll be andy brassel's dream football career something we did this week where he decided he would score 58 goals in one season in the championship before playing international football turkey yeah it is as ridiculous <laughs> it is as ridiculous as it sounds make sure you give it a listen support the ramble by heading over to patreon.com forward slash football ramble and subscribe now <laughs> can i just say i've just heard, i've actually heard that episode already yeah and um he he argues to. I mean, you can imagine what Marcus that Marcus is on the show with him. Yeah, and Marcus obviously being this tub thumping like England fan is absolutely incredulous because Andy <laughs> says that he goes and plays for like Galatasaray or something in his own dream football career, and the Turkish people take him to their heart so much that he becomes a naturalised Turkish person and plays for <laughs> Turkey in like an international tournament. Oh. It's like some kind of amazing like Colin Kazin Richards type mm-hmm. thing. Genius. Brilliantly designed to wind up Marcus. Yeah, it works a treat as well. <laughs> so yeah, patreon.com forward slash football ramble and you can go and listen to that. Yeah, perfect. Give it a listen. And uh, speaking of Turkey and Turkish clubs, uh, Istanbul Başakşehir here face Manchester United tonight in the Champions League. Champions League returns. Marcus, Pete and Andy are going to be back tomorrow. They'll be touching on all of tonight's matches in the Champions League. We will see you very soon. Luke, say goodbye. Goodbye. Jim, say goodbye. I'm glad you're getting public transport home. Speak to you soon. (laughs) Bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.